what a powerful reminder to us that, you know, the seasons may change, things may come and go, but God is sovereign and forever. And we can trust in God's plan for our life. More importantly, we can trust in God's ultimate plan for all of creation. God is sovereign. I want to speak to you this morning about the idea of glory, though, which is related to the sovereignty of God in a lot of ways. But this all begins with me remembering the very first video game I ever beat. Okay? When I was in first grade, I worked really hard, and I beat a video game on my computer called Mega Man. N- not Mega Man 20, whatever it's on now. I mean the first one. Mega Man, you're this little blue guy who can jump and shoot little laser balls out of his hand. And it was on my computer. It was on a floppy disk. Not, not the little floppy disks. Remember those big floppy disks that were actually floppy? That's how old we're talking here, all right? I know you think you got a young pastor, but I'm really getting up there in age. <laughs> so the first video game I ever beat was Mega Man, and it took forever because there was this one level that I couldn't figure out how to get past where the blocks would disappear, and it took me a while to realize that I had to jump at the exact right time when this one was disappearing and the other one was appearing. And so once I finally got past that part, then I could make my way through the game and finally beat it. Dr. Wiley had no chance when it came to what I was doing. But I remember feeling so excited and accomplished when I had finally beaten this game. And then ultimately, I was pretty disappointed. Sure, there was first the good feelings of, wow, I did it. But then when I got to the end and the end credits rolled and it just said, great job, thank you for playing, I was really disappointed. I don't know what I was thinking, but I guess I had in my mind that the game was going to sort of print out some money for me or something for a job well done. And when that didn't happen... It just didn't seem fair, right? My mom even said, great job, thank you for playing. I don't need you to say that video game. Do something more for me. I'm telling you this, though, because I think that oftentimes our pursuits of glory leave us feeling disappointed, right? In first grade, my only pursuit of glory that I had available to me was to beat this video game. And even though after I had accomplished it, I maybe felt good for a job well done, but ultimately... I was disappointed by the outcome. And now our pursuits of glory in this day and age take on all sorts of new expressions. And I think that more often than not, we are left feeling disappointed by those pursuits in the end. This is what I'd like to speak with you about this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. I've titled this sermon, What Glory Looks Like. Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Please open up those Bibles to chapter, John chapter 13. Uh, if you brought your own Bible, that's great. They're in the pew Bibles and the pew backs in front of you. If you want it on your phone, that's good too. Pull it up that way. Uh, but if you would also please rise with me as we read the gospel. This is our tradition here. When we read the gospel, Christ walks among us. And so we stand out of respect and reverence for the presence of Christ with us now as these ancient words are read. 
When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Friends, this is the good news. It's the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So this verse, this, this collection of verses, um, begins with Jesus talking about glory. And he says some things that are a little confusing. This is pretty typical in John's gospel, where Jesus seems to be talking in circles a lot. But it's really important. Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God will glorify him at once. And in him, he himself will glorify him at once. Making this point that glory is about to be accomplished through Jesus. We need to remember the context of when Jesus was saying these words. These were offered on the night, on the night shortly before he was going to be betrayed by Judas and turned over to the authorities. And so Jesus is knowing that all this is coming and realizing that this will be his glory. That he is about to accomplish exactly what he came to earth for. And in this, he will be glorified and God will be glorified through him. So Jesus is talking and making all this big show about glory. And it gets me thinking about the ways that we talk about glory in our world today. That's a very strange word that we don't hear very often, maybe just in church or outside of church. But I was trying to think of some examples. We see glory, and probably when I say that word, you think about when the running back scores the game when he touched down, right? Runs into the end zone, hands in the air, the crowd is screaming, and that maybe is your concept of glory. Or maybe it's the politician who runs a really good campaign and wins the election in a landslide, and again, at the end, he stands up, hand in the air, the crowds are screaming, my fellow Americans! Or, or maybe, maybe you go medieval on us and you think about a king or a conqueror who, who coordinates and wins the battle ultimately to take control of the throne and then they are standing there ruling in their glory. See, these are all probably pretty common examples of what we think about with this word. But I want to point something out for you. In each of these examples, notice how self-centered the understanding of glory is. With the running back crossing the goal line, hands in the air, all the attention is focused on him. With the politician, yeah, sure, maybe he says, my fellow Americans, but we know what he actually means when he's saying that. Look what I did. And certainly the king, ruling over all of the people in the dominion. It's all about him sitting on that throne. And so this is one of the problems with glory, is I think our conception of that word is often something very self-centered. Glory is about us getting what we want and everyone else bowing down at how great our accomplishment is. There's another avenue, too, though, that glory can take. And, and I'll admit, 
Gory is probably something that I struggled with a little bit growing up in a lot of ways. I've gotten better at it now, but as I look back on my life, I realize that I did so much just to try and prove to other people that I was worthwhile, that I was enough. I tried to do all sorts of things to make sure people liked me and admired me, right? And this had some good results. I worked really hard in school because I wanted to be one of the top students. And I wanted to be one of the top students so people would say, Nate's one of the top students. And it was the same with basketball. I worked really hard and practiced a lot so that I could be in the starting lineup, one of the better players on the team. So that people would say, Nate's good at basketball. He's on the starting lineup. He's one of the best players on the team. You see how this goes. But here's where that left me. Is it left me in a place of a lot of anxiety as well. I was always worried and nervous that my top spot would be taken by someone else. Someone else was out there practicing when I had something else to do. Were they going to jump me and I was going to have to come off the bench? That wouldn't be okay. And there were some other funny things, too, that I would do. I, I learned, you, you, the good news is this has all led to children's sermons here, right? I, I learned how to do yo-yo tricks and magic tricks because I thought that this would be really impressive to people and that they would like me more. And that worked for elementary school, but by about ninth grade, it just was sort of sad and embarrassing. Didn't stop me. Um, <laughs> but, but I tell you all of this to just illustrate the number of ways that our relationship with glory can lead us to some pretty troubling places. Whether it's a place of self-centeredness or a place of anxiety, when we are constantly focused on our own glory, very often we'll wind up in a difficult spot. And now I think Jesus knows this very clearly, that we as humans struggle with this idea of glory and that we often try and put ourselves as the center of the universe. And so that's why I think he offers these words. And notice that after Jesus says all this stuff about glory, he quickly starts talking about the importance of love. You see, because I think Jesus is telling us that these two themes are very much related. Verse 34 in what we read says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, Jesus is saying that to him, this is what glory looks like. Not the crowds all praising your name and cheering you on. Glory to Jesus is about the way that we love and care for each other. And notice that that's how Jesus lived his whole life. Whenever the crowds would come and say, Jesus, we want to make you king, he'd say, nah, 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 nah. I'm just going to keep loving people and teaching people how to love. Again and again, the crowds would try and lift Jesus up and put him at the center of attention. And again and again, he would relinquish that glory for the sake of continuing his mission. And it makes sense. Everyone was expecting Jesus to be king. They thought he was the Messiah, and he was. They just had a very different idea of what that term meant. They thought that Jesus' glory would be him coming, leading a great military victory over the Roman government, and establishing himself as king and ruler of the land. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Glory is about love. And so Jesus spent his time trying to 
show this love to each and every person he met. Jesus tried to train his disciples to build communities of love, to to start churches and communities where people would continue to love their neighbors and care for those who were in their neighborhood. Jesus would spend all of his time extending love to outcasts and to orphans and to widows and to exiles. The message is very clear. This is what glory looks like to Jesus. This is what matters most. Not self-centered attention, not some sort of great glorious military victory or achievement, but just the simple day-to-day loving of your neighbor. Our glory, church, comes not from awards or positions, not from accomplishments and recognition. Glory comes when we show the love of God to our neighbors. So if that's what glory looks like, we need to recognize that this is very different than what our society often tells us, right? This is very different than the game-winning touchdown or the political victory or the king ruling over his dominion. And yet, there's something I want to point out that is very similar about both understandings of glory. Because that big, long list, right, like whether it's the athlete or the politician or the king, what we have to recognize is it takes hard work to earn the glory that they receive. It takes a lot of hard work and practice to be the best athlete. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of empty promises to be a good politician. It takes a lot of hard work to be a king. And in the same sense, it takes a lot of really hard day-to-day work to love your neighbor in the way that Jesus did. That is not an easy task or an easy calling. We're tested constantly, but this, each test we need to recognize is an opportunity to glorify God. Each test is an opportunity to really claim what glory is all about. And Jesus knows it's hard. Think about the context of when Jesus gave this commandment, okay? As I told you, Jesus was there on the night that he was going to be betrayed. He's sitting around the dinner table, and he sees Peter. And he knows that Peter's going to deny him later that night three times. And he sees Judas. And he knows that Judas is going to be the one to turn him over and betray him to the authorities. And Jesus knows about all that's going to come for him in the next 24 hours wrongfully convicted, embarrassed and shamed by the soldiers who persecute him, nailed to a cross and hung up in front of the town for everyone to see. And yet in the midst of all of this difficulty that Jesus knows is coming down the pike, he still says that our job is to love. As difficult as a situation as he was in, Jesus did not shy from his mission Jesus continued pursuing the glory that he knew mattered. Love your neighbor as yourself, even though it's going to be tough, even though there's going to be all sorts of things getting in the way. This is what glory looks like. And it goes for us as well, church. It's going to be difficult times here and there. It won't always be easy to love as we are commanded. And you know what? It's also not always flashy. It's not always something that gets create a news story about it. We don't always get the glory and the recognition that we need. And yet, loving your neighbor is just what we're supposed to do. And it's as simple as the mom who gets up early every morning and makes lunch for her kids, 
drops them off at school, picks them up from school, and then works a double shift to make sure that they have opportunities that she never had. That's what love and glory looks like. Or or, or it's the high schooler who will sit with the lonely kid at lunch, the one who's always by himself. He will extend love and graciousness to that individual because he knows that that person needs it so badly. Or it's the church member who hears that something tough is going on in the life of one of their fellow church members, and so they take the time to stop by and visit, to pick up the phone and call. It's not flashy. It's not anything that they talk about on the evening news. And yet this, Jesus says, is what glory looks like. Now, church, we are called to love and act like Jesus. And Jesus says that that's where glory resides, when we love and act like Jesus. And so that means that there is no one more glorious than Jesus. If we're called to love and act like him and that's where glory is found, then that means that no one is more worthy of praise than Jesus. No one is more worthy of our love and commitment than Jesus. No one is more worthy of our worship than Jesus Christ. Because because Jesus loves us even when it's difficult. We're talking about how hard it can be to do these things. And you know what? Even though you were never the top of your class, Jesus is still going to love you. Even though you never turned pro, Jesus is still going to love you. Even though you've got skeletons in your closet, Jesus will still love you. Even though you haven't always been patient or loving or kind or honest or even good, Jesus will still love you. Even though people will admit that it's often pretty difficult to love a person like you, Jesus will keep on loving you. Jesus will keep on loving you and he's never going to stop because that's what glory looks like. Amen.